Hello everyone, I am Samori, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. And this week's It Takes a Village, Hudson is forced to be a food tester, while Jason reflects on his mother-in-law's influence on his house. We'll also tell you about Hammond Photo Design, our Black Business of the Week. Then we'll dive into the main topic of how the police treat people after arresting them. Remember that you can see our videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family, Twitter and Instagram at SJH Man Cave, and email us at info at SJHmancave.com. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. And I think I'll kick it off this time. So one of the recent developments that I've had, because we started this show and I'm learning how to use technology that's all about visuals, right? So I've got a webcam, I've got lights in my house, I've got this backdrop. And of course, Simone has been running around seeing me playing with all of these things and figuring out how to use them. And we have both discovered that she loves seeing herself on the camera. And now it has become a usual thing that if she sees me sitting around, she'll start pulling on my arm, which is my signal that I have to lift her up and put her in my lap. And there is no denying that when she pulls on my arm and I ignore her or I say, daddy's working right now. All that follows next is a scream of rage and more pulling, demanding my immediate attention. (laughs) So finally, I pull it up, and then she points at the monitor and says, Daddy. And that's the signal that I need to pull up one of the videos that we have together. Because, of course, she's always sitting with me. And I haven't taught her the word video or recording or anything like that. So just she'll point at the monitor, and she'll say, Daddy. And that means either I need to pull up the camera and start recording a new video of us together, or I need to pull up one of our older videos and play it for her so she can watch herself on the screen. And for whatever reason, I can play the same video over and over again. Endless entertainment for Now, I say entertainment, but she doesn't really react. It's really almost kind of weird to watch. It's not like she's has these wide smiles or, you know, she's following along with anything like that, but she is entranced. It's like she's focused. She is completely focused on what she's seeing. I, I feel if I didn't know better, I would say that she was almost critiquing herself and figuring out how she could be even better on camera <laughs> next time around. Thank God. Thank God. All she does is she just oh, watches man. it. Thank God I'm not the only one. Oh, my God. I, dude, I, yeah, look, I'm sorry to cut in. Look, uh, I, I, we, we have been watching our, our one-year-old daughter sit here and stare at like certain commercials on the TV when they come in, like, like the show, she can take it or leave it. Right. But, but let one of them law office commercials come on <laughs> and she just stops and just starts. Like she'll, she'll literally stop reading really? and, and stare at that commercial. Like, yeah. I'm like, so Glenn Lerner, Glenn oh. Lerner got you, huh? Did you, you need a lawyer. You need an injury attorney right now. <laughs> he got a good jingle. I, I you got some legal issues going on right now. Getting out, uh, <laughs> maybe. Oh, that's all. Man, I don't know. Hey. So, so I'm glad I'm not the only one. Where it's just something just 
catches the attention. She's just watching. She's just watching, not really moving, not doing anything. Just are just trying to critique it, articulate it, <laughs> and waiting until the next go round. It's it's hilarious to watch, to be frank with you. But it's also, I really enjoy it. I like that this new venture that I've decided to get into is something that my daughter is curious about, you know, and and wants to know know more about. I mean, who knows the future, but I'm hoping that I'm creating something that one day I'll be able to give to her to help give her a foundation. You know, like I've been I've been thinking a lot about how do I improve upon what my parents did for me? You know, what I, I my parents assured that I had an education, that I knew right from wrong, that I had a work ethic. I want to pass down all of those things to my daughter as well, but I want to give her something more. And I feel like what I can hopefully give to her is a an entrepreneurial sense, an entrepreneurial foundation where I'm going to make a ton of mistakes trying to create my own businesses and my own enterprise, and I can pass those lessons down. And hopefully she can build up on that and ultimately be her own boss way before her father is, if he ever even gets to that point. So it's just really cool knowing already that this is something that she's enjoying so far and that we can experience together. Yeah, man, you get a, you get her played up and get her educated. She can be our manager or whatnot. You know? <laughs> I'm all about it, bro. I'm all about it. <laughs> As I say, take those opportunities to, to make sure you try to teach her those words because it's easier to teach them the words when they're interested in it. You know what I mean? You know, I, mm-hmm. I've been trying to, I've been trying to teach my daughters, you know, anthropology, you know, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and all types of certain <laughs> words, but since they're not interested in it, you know, they don't care, you know, you know, teach them something they like. <laughs> it's like anthro. Yeah, dad, that's great. Anthropology, whatever. Let me get over here and check out this Glenn Lerner commercial. Like pretty that much. Jingle. Man. <laughs> Man. Jason, you want to talk about your mother-in-law? Hey, I wouldn't mind doing that. Uh, I've mentioned before and whatnot that my, my mother-in-law was one of those folks who whatnot who was a godsend around that time and stuff when uh, my kids were young and was working a bunch of jobs and just trying to figure things out. My wife working downtown. I, I, I thank God for my mother-in-law because she rescued my sanity. In the process of doing that, I felt like uh, I've developed a pretty good relationship, not only with her, but with, you know, the majority of my newly adopted married family and stuff. We all were kind of like a village. I would have to say when I went to came to raising Jada. And now when, well, it's a little bit different with Junior now because Junior's a little bit more feistier. But, you know, he's still a good kid and they still love him to death. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been noticing lately, you know, when I, since the pandemic and stuff started, we've we made a conscious effort to kind of like keep the kids, you know, secure as possible. You know, we we thinking about their safety and their health and everything like that. So they haven't had an opportunity to see their grandma in a while. So uh, I'm noticing that at first I, I thought I would kind of see it from my kids when it comes to you know, just kind of getting loopy and just, uh, you know, just kind of acting crazy-ish and stuff. I'm seeing my mother-in-law do that. Only because, like, she literally 
I mean, like she didn't get to see them like every day, but she saw them the majority of the time. But now, like it's been at least, it's been at least maybe four or five months since we just dropped the kids off with her to just kind of hang out and stuff. Like she kind of sees them in passing at this point. She's she's getting a little loopy. Like just about everything we do, she kind of you know it, it it's. I listen to the conversations that my wife has on the phone and stuff. So it's always something that catches my ear. And I'm like, okay, what the hell's going on there? And, uh, you know, my mother-in-law, like, she she likes to... Uh, there, were, there were times and stuff where she liked to kind of mention on, like, how you know how grandparents are, where they're like, well, you know, when you had the kids do this, you know, that you should do this and do that. It's like, okay, I take that into consideration. I appreciate that. Now... She's very opinionated about how we are rearing or raising, and uh, we're we're doing very bad right now. <laughs> yeah. We are the worst parents. <laughs> she, she says she swears up and down like I wish I could take them kids and I I teach them how I teach things and stuff. It's like oh okay well well you can't because it's a pandemic mm-hmm. and we're trying to keep you alive and we don't want you to be sick and stuff so. It's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> like, the, the influence that she used to have, like I, I know my kids, like when they were young, uh, there was one point where Jada, she was about maybe three or four years old, and I thought it was a little hysterical what she taught her, but you know, in the end, it kind of worked out. She, uh, she, she was, she, they ended up having like some kind of little fire drill in my mother-in-law's building. So she kind of hammered it into Jada, like, you know, when you hear that alarm, you know, such and such is happening, could be a fire, you need to hurry up, get out of the building, you know, teaching us stuff that she just kind of needs to know. But the way she did it, she kind of put a fear into Jada. Mm-hmm. So one night when we were still living in Oak Park, she, uh, a fire alarm went off. I'm not a fire alarm, but a smoke detector was going off in our neighbor's apartment. And Jada heard it, and she I think I was in my room sleep. I did that a lot. So she ran in, and she was freaking out. She, Daddy, Daddy, I hear smoke alarm. I'm like, it's just a smoke alarm. What's the matter? What's the, what's the problem? So I woke up. I got up. I'm like, okay, I hear the smoke alarm. It's in dudes, it was a dude that was living by himself. I went around to the back door, looked out the back door to see if I could kind of look in his apartment. And I looked in his apartment. I saw some smoke. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe not a big deal. Let me go walk around to the front. I'll knock on the dude's front door, see if he know he got something going on in his kitchen. So I went in. I kept banging on my man's door. He didn't. He never came to the door. I went back around, was looking through his back door, and saw that he had a pot on the stove, and it was it was on fire. It was just on fire. So I'm assuming dude is in the house. I'm, I'm assuming he's in this apartment, and maybe he something happened to him. I don't know what. All I know is I got Jada and I got the key. I got Jada and Cynthia up. I had them knock on all the other neighbors' doors on their way outside, and I called the police. And uh, kept trying to bang on my man's door and stuff. He de- he he never came to the door. I got outside. The fire department came. They ended up kicking in the dude's door. Apparently, he fell asleep and whatnot with the uh, you know with this pot on the stove. So. It it just it just made a whole lot of smoke in the grand scheme of things. Didn't really, nothing really happen to the building. We just ended up, you know, going back 
in the apartment and dude was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare anybody. I'm like, no, shoot. My daughter was the one that messed around and saved your life, playboy. Just to let you know, the four-year-old did it because I was going to stay sweet. <laughs> I all, all the time and don't think nothing about it. <laughs> so, you know, it was one of the things like that influence that she's had. She's She's been a big part of helping raise our kids and teach them stuff. Even though I haven't really agreed on a lot of her tactics, it, there, there is some effective stuff there. And when I talk to her now, when we basically, we we are we are the most, like we talk about liberalism, we are liberal parents. We let, we let the kids do whatever they want to do. They, they walk around this house, they, Jada wears clothes and whatnot that's totally unbecoming of a, of a literal <laughs> and Junior is a total mess. I don't I don't we I don't know what I did to him. I didn't did something totally wrong to him. So I feel like the majority of that feeling that she has towards us is just to the fact that she hasn't gotten a big chance to see see her grandkids as much as she normally would and put that influence in on them on what she knows, which I kind of miss, even though you know some of it I'm kind of like, all right, well, I'm gonna have to unlearn that later. But still. You know, she, she she brought a lot to my home and whatnot, and I always appreciate it for, especially since the kids don't get to see my mother as much since she lives out in DeKalb and everything. So I kind of miss that, that older influence in my home when it comes to the kids learning things and, you know, hearing about some stuff that maybe I just don't even know about. It takes a village. So, you know, you're not always going to agree with what the village teaches, but you know, it does take a village. So true. I mean, like you say, you know, it might be some things you want to give a different perspective on. I won't necessarily say unlearn, you know, you might want to give a different perspective and say, well, you know, you can follow that when you in her house, but when you in my house, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you let daddy sleep through those smoke That's alarms. Uh, <laughs> if the fire ain't over here don't let me sleep you know uh, but yeah man I feel you I feel you on that though man you you want to you know I was scared at first when you mentioned this topic I was like oh what is he about to say but I'm glad because I ain't want to get yelled oh, at so much less <laughs> I was like I don't want to get yelled at this is so much less explosive than what I was looking forward to really is that how you <laughs> I've uh, I've been very lucky in that I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law. She's an absolute sweetheart, always willing to help, very open from the very beginning for as long as I can remember. I've had a good relationship with her. She can be annoying, as I'm sure all mother-in-laws can be, but all in all, I really don't have any complaints. She on Facebook too. At all. Yeah, she is. Yes. <laughs> she is on <laughs> Has she actually commented on some of your posts? No, not the comments. I get I get a message just about every day from from D. I, I get I get one I get a Facebook message. It's either a message or some kind of inspirational note or a video what? or something that I need to see. I've never gotten anything from I her. Oh man. Just about every day. Yeah, I get them now too. I'm glad I'm not on those mailing lists. She must know that I would just delete them automatically. She sent, <laughs> uh, she sent me one of the videos for for one of our topics today. Really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Hey, I had no idea. I gotta say, on my, you know, on 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 uh on my wife's side of the side over there, I mean they they're like super supportive. Whenever we've needed help with babysitting or anything like that, I mean they've always been there. I mean, you know, I mean, having a birthday party is like a big event. They're, they're super like into, you know, celebrating folk birthdays. I mean, it's a lot of kids, so they definitely want to have a cake. The kids ain't going to let it slide without the cake. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it's a birthday? Let's, let's, we got to do this, you know? And <laughs> I mean, and it's mm-hmm. like the whole thing is like headed by, by my mother in law. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's like, she's like the matriarch. Yeah. I mean, it, everything like goes through her and you can see like she, she really kind of coordinates that whole thing. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm grateful that, <laughs> that that's the support system that, uh, that we have because I, I mean, I couldn't imagine anyone else. So, you know, that's it. It's great to have, have a great relationship and, and be able to have some folk that you can that you can turn to when you need some help. Absolutely. So, Hudson, what about you? I heard you uh, become a food tester in your house recently. Oh, it ain't recently. It's since I've been. Look, man, anything <laughs> that smells a little off or tastes a little weird, I gotta taste it. I gotta I gotta come smell it. I mean that that's that seems like. <laughs> Every time, like, uh, you know, it don't matter what it is, you know, if we get something from a, from, let's say we get something from a fast food restaurant, it just don't taste right. Here, Hudson, you taste that. No, I don't want to, you know, uh, <laughs> but no, I need, to, I need to see. I trust you. If you say it don't taste right, I trust you. It don't taste right. You know, it don't know that you have. Yeah, I mean, it, it be no. I want you to taste it. You get over here and taste it now. See, I gotta come over there and taste it. I can't. It's, you don't even bring it over to me. I got to come over there and taste it. It's like I don't. I don't know when I Ridiculous. became the official taste tester. If it smell a little off, I gotta come over there and smell it. Like no, I don't want no. Why I gotta? Why I gotta smell that? If you say it smell funky, I, I believe you. You know, let's just get rid of it. I mean, you know, spoiled food that might have been refrigerated too long, just whatever. I got to be the one. Why I got to, you know, it's like I, I'm going to develop like asbestos in my in my insides, in my lungs from smelling all this stuff, all this bad stuff. That's I mean, that's how you get spores like stuck to your to your to your lungs you can't keep just sniffing this stuff right <laughs> you know i mean i mean i'm just saying you can't like this is not a title i was looking to when i thought manhood or fatherhood you know being the man of the house i i never thought this was one of the duties so you know i like can i just skip that part I think we throw too much stuff away in this house. I I got a wife who wasn't out there. Every time the expiration day hits, she like, go pour it out. Go get rid of it. I'm like, wait a minute. We, we at least got to Wait a second. Like, we asked, like, Julia was like, I want some chocolate milk. I know we got some chocolate milk in there. She said, bring me the jug. Let me see what the date is on it. 
It said the day, it, it was two days ago. It uh, 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 ain't no good. I'm like, hey, you can't throw out that chocolate milk. It's today. <laughs> like, uh, uh, ain't no good. Then she opens it up and smells it, right? I'm like, but the rim always smell a little weird when you get the mm-hmm. gallons of milk. So you can't judge it off of that. Joe, you brought it over to me. I'm, Ain't nothing wrong with this milk. She said, <laughs> it out. I'm like, he can't have this. And he looking at me. He had, his his soul was so hurt. He was so sad. He that chocolate milk because he looked at me like, it's okay, right, daddy? Mama, what? And she, nope. Can't have it. Throw it out. I felt bad. I was trying to sneak it to him. She, Don't you get that boy that, that chocolate milk. <laughs> okay, I got to say, dairy's a tough one, though, because I, I've had, like, like I swear I didn't have yogurt for like 20 years because when I had it as a kid, I got a bad one and, and I tasted it and it was horrible. Like it, I almost threw up from it mm. just off of one little bite. And it's because yeah. I got a bad one and it stopped me from having yogurt for like the next 20 years. I was like, oh, it's yogurt. No, I don't want that. <laughs> I just shut it down. There's no yogurt up in here. So I can't imagine having like accidentally having some bad milk or some bad. No, I I I'd probably be the same way. Throw that out right now. <laughs> so you got it in there after a bunch of days and whatnot. Like if you got it three four days at the expiration date, no, don't. I, I I even I wouldn't be like, well, let me just taste. No, it's it's too close. Right. Like I say, that ain't no exact science and whatnot, but I do understand what you mean because I didn't have some bad dairy. Well, mm-hmm. I'm just like I, I didn't actually have some bad milk and just wasn't paying no attention to give me a nice big gulp. <laughs> Next thing I know, I was <laughs> on the milk I was drinking. <laughs> Not the day it say it expires. No, dog, you got to you got to no. try at least one time. I'll be the right. there on that one. Even got traumatized by the yoga for 20 whole years, though. Yes, Damn. it took that long. <laughs> yeah. Because at first, I didn't know it was bad. Like, I like it took a minute for me to realize that that was bad yogurt I had. Oh, wow. So, you, so, you ate it for a minute. You was just, hmm. Yeah, I thought that's the, you know, I took two bites, I think. And I was like, this the yogurt's horrible. You know, I don't know how so many people eat this. You know, this you was so. looking at the rapper. And this was supposed to be kids' yogurt, like yogurt for, for kids. What kids are eating this? You know, I was like, no, nah, uh-uh. daddy, I don't want no yogurt no more. Oh, wow. Dude, that's what swore me off of steaks, as a matter of fact. Look, I did not eat steak for a long, not because the steak was bad, but because my dad, he would only eat well-done steaks. And when he made a well-done steak, it was well, well done, like shoe leather type done. So, so, <laughs> dude, I'm I take a bite of this steak because I'm like my dad eating steaks all the time, but he never let me eat no steak. And my dad would always say that's because your teeth aren't strong enough yet for steak. You you know you can't you you can't chew. My teeth aren't strong enough. Okay, so so finally I get some, and now I see what he was talking about. It's like, damn, my teeth. I've been chewing this this one bite for twenty minutes. Wow. No, my teeth aren't strong enough for steak, Dad. <laughs> well, it like 10, 15 years later, <laughs> I had my first medium steak. I was like, 
what the f- like wh- where was this the whole time <laughs> why would my dad be eating that why, why would he do this to state when mm-hmm. it could be this you know man mm-hmm. yeah man when, when, when well well does takes but hell your chest yeah, yeah it stopped me from eating it i ain't have a steak for 10 15 years after that it was a long time i was like i don't want nothing like that <laughs> I've never had to worry about being a taste tester uh, in my house. I, both of the women here are very, very picky eaters, and they make their own decisions about what they will or will not eat. Mm-hmm. And whether or not I like it is completely irrelevant to whether or not they're willing to do that. I actually love seeing the process Simone goes through in order to figure out whether or not she wants to eat something because it, it almost all of it is based on sight. She doesn't, she doesn't touch it. She won't taste it a little bit. She will look at it and she'll stare. And she she knows the word no and she knows how to use it properly. And the, the times vary on how long it takes for her to let you know how she feels. Like sometimes I'll put new food that she has never tasted before. I'll put it in front of her. She'll look at it and immediately go, no. And turn away. And then I'll turn her towards me and I'll eat a little of it. Like, see, delicious. Daddy loves it. And I'll put it towards her mouth. She'd be like, no. And push push my hand away. Like make it absolutely clear. What I just tell this you. Is not going down. <laughs> yeah, Simone, she eats a whole lot of things. It's not hard to feed her, but when she's decided she doesn't want something, it is it is final. That door is closed, and there is no convincing her that this is something you actually want to eat. And then Samantha, Man, she's you're, you're lucky picky. because my little one, she <laughs> likes to grab it and chuck it. So like, uh, <laughs> so like, my I I just don't understand the thought process. But but <laughs> like mine, you'll put something on a spoon, right, and you'll feed it to her, and she'll eat it, and and she won't really make an expression one way or another. So the only way you know if she likes it or not is if you take another spoon of it and you send it her way and if she try to grab it, she don't like it. So so like and at first I didn't know that this was the pattern. I didn't get it. So at first I'm just, oh, she want to take the spoon. She want to feed herself or whatever. Okay. So I let her take it. And then, you know, the first time, she she takes the spoon and she takes what's on in the spoon and she just chucks it and just, just sends it flying across the room. Like, okay, okay, maybe she didn't like that one. So I like, you know, the second time that this happened, I was like, okay, you know, now she takes the spoon. The second time she chucks the whole spoon with whatever was in it and just chucks it across the room. It's like, huh. I am sensing a pattern here. Okay, so so now I know that when she don't like something, she just totally chucks it. Now, here's the second thing, right? Sometimes she chucks it even when she likes it. So you can't put two things. You can't put two different things in front of her. Well, she going to take the first thing, and it don't matter if she liked the first thing more than the second. She'll take the first thing and chuck it. It's like, okay, we're done with these. I'm going to eat these. Like, there's no leaving it on her tray. <laughs> she has to completely get rid of it. Like, okay, well, we're eating this now. So these Cheerios got to go. 
you know, and she loved Cheerios. So she just starts <laughs> chucking stuff across the room. So I'm 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 telling her, like, like, baby, you do That's you awesome. don't have to chuck it. You can eat these too and then eat that. Or you can just not do anything with them and you can eat this. You don't have to chuck it across the room. <laughs> but she do it. That's why she got a good throwing mm -hmm. arm right now. <laughs> All right. Next, folks, I want to turn our attention to our Black-owned business of the week. This week, we want to put the spotlight on Hammond Photo Design. We all have those moments in our lives that we want pictures of. And even with the advancement of smartphones, a bunch of selfies and your cousin taking pics with his tablet just won't cut it. Sometimes you need a professional, and that's where Hammond Photo Design comes in. Weddings, proms, family photos, they do it all. Hammond Photo Design exhibits passion and dedication to capturing life's most beautiful moments in order to make sure that all you have to worry about on that big day is making memories. Hammond Photo Design offers a variety of package and pricing options to fit multiple budgets. I encourage you to take a look at their gallery at www.hammondphotodesign22.com. While on their website, please subscribe and get put on their mailing list for offers and updates. And if you're old school like me, just give them a call at 630-605-4046. You can show them some love on social media as well. Hit them up on Facebook at Hammond Photo Design Studios Incorporated and on Instagram at Photography. Yeah, we used uh, Hammond Photo Design to take some professional photos, Samantha and I, for the Sam and Sam travel business because we felt like we didn't have enough good photos that were not specifically related to traveling hmm. that we could put on our Sam and Sam travel website. He did a, a great job of having us travel around at different sites and taking photos and making sure that we were able to get set up so that we could have professional looking uh, pictures for our website. Uh, so cool. I definitely recommend the service. I know a lot of people might not trust guys when they say this kind of thing, but I saw some of the pictures on his website and uh, I mean, it looked like some pretty good photos to me. So uh, I know I got a, I got a guy's view. So maybe, you know, I'm not trustworthy in that regard, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, I mean, you talk to my wife, I can't barely dress myself. So, <laughs> so, you know, take it for what it's worth. Look at the website and, you know, look for yourself. But looks like uh, he does some pretty good work. Now it's time for our main topic. But before then, I just want to remind you that for this topic and really anything that we've discussed during the episode today, we would love to hear your feedback. So please reach out to us. You can email us at info at sjhmancave.com. And we also have a Facebook group at SJH Podcast Family. Please, we would love to hear, are there any um, topics that we haven't covered yet that you would love to see us cover? Or do you have some specific feedback on how we went through some of these topics that you've already heard today? Feel free to reach out to us and let us know your thoughts. This brings us to the main topic of how black people are treated by police after they are in custody. Recently, there's been a lot of discussion about looting and ensuring that people who loot are punished. Usually the punishment we see people asking for is imprisonment. This motivated us to examine how black people are treated while they are in jail and at the mercy of correctional officers. 
We have seen multiple examples over the past year of black men being abused and beaten by officers while in police custody. In North Carolina, John Neville repeatedly yelled out that he couldn't breathe in his cell while half a dozen officers held him down, ultimately killing him. In Ohio, Terrence DeBose was strapped to a chair and beaten by two officers. Infamously, Sandra Bland was also murdered while in the custody of police. I think it's important we define what we mean by a person in custody. When are the police, prison guards, or whoever else is law enforcement in the area responsible for a prisoner's safety? Custody starts when, when police are called to a scene. I mean, at, at that point, they're responsible for for trying to keep all the, the people involved in, in kind of somewhat somewhat safe, especially if they take someone in custody. If they decide someone's under arrest, well, you're definitely under the care of the police department. You're under the care of the city, state, or, or whoever you were arrested by at that point. So uh, right, right when you try to put the cuffs on me, you are responsible for me. Something happens to me at that point. I mean, I'm in custody. That's on you at that point. If something were to happen, if you come to arrest me, then you you are taking responsibility for me at that point. You know, and and now my safety is in your hands because you want me to do everything that you tell me to do at that point. Yeah, I would have to echo those sentiments. I feel like once the police show up, they are responsible for the safety of the people there. Like, I think a lot of times folks forget that police are supposed to de-escalate situations. They're not supposed to escalate them. You know, they're not supposed to be the the source or the cause Mm -hmm. of the violence. And I feel like in some of these videos where you see people commenting and saying, well, the police did what they had to do or great job by the police. They forget that, hey, they're supposed to be lowering the tensions. They're, They're not supposed to be. Uh, rolling rolling up hostile and looking to bash heads. And I d- definitely feel like some of these instances that we've seen, there's been a complete lack of de-escalation that has resulted in not only in people being taken into custody in a very aggressive manner, but then serious mistreatment once they're actually in custody. And I agree 100%. A lot of times they're treated as animals that, hey, you're already we are have already decided you're a criminal and you're not worthy of respectful treatment you don't really have any rights as far as we're concerned in fact we could treat you however we want to treat you because if you were really a good person or a good citizen we wouldn't have been called to a, to come get you in the first place but i i think we should delve into why do the cops feel that way you know, what causes them to approach situations in this matter? What do you all think is going through a cop's mind? Because they constantly act as if what they're doing is okay. But when we look at these videos, oftentimes we're disgusted by what we see. What do they see that we do not? I think that just watching the videos and just watching how some of their procedures go and how similar they all seem to be. I believe it's just in their training. I believe they're trained to be that way. Like what we're talking about with these videos in regards to people who are already in custody, like, you know, prisoners or people who have just been arrested and 
in these videos, we see the same kind of tactics from officers. Number one is a gang mentality off top. They're clearly trained that you don't deal with a prisoner or anybody else like that by yourself. Hell, I don't even think to me it wasn't in the grand scale. In most of the videos, it is six to seven officers in those situations. And I find it interesting right. is shit that although it's procedure to videotape those situations, those are the those are the police actually recording those videos. These ain't just random people in there. The, these videos are supposed to be recording in order to make sure that the police, number one, are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And making sure, and and the video is supposed to be for their insurance, just in case something goes wrong. So just the fact that they do that and that kind of procedure is involved lets you know that most of that behavior is in their training. It's what they're trained to do. And unfortunately, when you train certain people, like when you're in a situation where I don't, I don't really know what's involved when it comes to going to a police academy or anything like that. But I do know, or at least this is what I've heard, is that psychological evaluations are done pretty much very last. They don't take into consideration, okay, should this person even be a cop, number one? So when you're you're training somebody who could possibly Mm -hmm. have some kind of prior, some kind of motive to be a police officer, whether they was a cop that got bullied by black people and whatnot back in high school, or the one time black dude stole his car or something like that, and that's why they decided to become a cop. When you're training somebody to be violent, all that's doing is just escalating what's already in them. So even though you have that train, you have that training that's already just basically violent impaired. It's just in there already. It's like we got we got to treat these people as violently as they are and the way they act. You have to be able to control an animal at the end of the day because we got them mm-hmm. in this cage. So they only going to get worse. So we have to be even more tactical. We have to be even more violent with them. I try to look at it from the other side, right? Like I, I try to find what is the what is the empathetic way for me to try to understand what it is that they're doing to us. You know, I agree with Jason. A big problem is the training that the the way that they're taught and the the the, the psyche that their trainers try to give them is deeply problematic and needs to change. It's not that there's been little or no change, but the, but the solution has always been, well, you just need to give them some more money. If you give the police some more money for this brand new uh, crazy training, that'll just fix everything. And I am adamant that the police get all the money that they need to be able to service us the way they need to service us. And if the training needs to change, then just train, change the training. Don't give them another hundred million dollars <laughs> to support for this service that we're supposedly going to get. But when I look at why they treat us the way that they do, you have to acknowledge that the role of the of being a police officer forces them to interface with the absolute worst of us. Most of the time when these police officers are interfacing with black people, they are talking with the absolute worst of the worst. People who who have already committed a crime or done something that has caused the police to have to uh, intervene and do something about the situation. And when you consider how, how overworked, from my understanding, Chicago officers are, as far as the amount of overtime that's demanded of them, as far as 
just the type of, of shifts and the types of type of work that they have to do. This city doesn't do a good job from a mental health standpoint of helping to ensure that Chicago police are prepared to deal with us humanely the way that they should. You know, so I don't feel like it's all just racism. There's a structural issue in the city with how it handles police, where it doesn't really empower them to be at their very best when they're interfacing with us. There's also an issue that if you reach us in Chicago, if you reach a certain level of seniority or pool, it's much easier for you to get transferred to a place where nothing happens. Oftentimes, the police officers that are working the worst neighborhoods are the police officers who are less senior, can't go anywhere. They don't have the, the positive record that allows them to write their own check. And so consequently, the very best officers, the ones that have proven, hey, I really know how to do this job and I really know how to handle this job. Those are the people transferred out to where the rich people are, where nothing actually happens. Again, structurally, something has to change, but we have to find a way where the very best police officers, the ones that have proven, hey, I excel in this position, still remain in these areas where their talents are deeply needed. And I don't feel like that kind of focus is happening right now. I was going to say, I think that this kind of feeds into the entire mentality and what's part of the training. Like when you talk about uh, when you talk about that exhaustion or just that or that just that mentality of being in a situation where you have to constantly watch your back because there are areas in the city that's like that. I mean, you, it's proven out here that these motherfuckers will pull a pistol and shoot a cop and shit in a heartbeat. So mm-hmm. I, I get when they say, like, you know, our lives are on the line and and this is what it is. But. The fact that it well, first and foremost, what I wanted to say was, is you chose the job. Number one, mm-hmm. you picked it. Didn't nobody, I don't know who you heard it from or who pitched you being a cop and shit. But if you don't watch the news or if you ain't ever been in an urban neighborhood, because that's what they do. To, as soon as you come out of the police academy, it's like you say, the first thing they do is throw you in one of the worst neighborhoods possible because don't nobody else right. want to work up. <laughs> shit. Right. If you got if you got a ten year vet, you give him the choice of fucking around and working the Gold Coast <coughs> mm-hmm. or staying down on the South Side somewhere in the hundreds or whatnot. Guess where he going? And then they right. gonna throw some dude that wasn't that fresh out the academy in there. So you already mm-hmm. dealing with a situation with somebody who doesn't know how to deal with those types of areas or even deal with those type of people. Mm-hmm. So that mentality part of it, I think it's it it feeds into. The, the the narrative that they have or, or they, it feeds into what it is that they've built so far. The, I think a lot of them, uh, I'm, I'm willing to boot the majority of these incidents and stuff that happen in these urban areas with the police are from officers who don't have that much on the job uh, experience. Sure, they quick as hell to pull a gun out and whatnot if they're in an area somebody's scaring the hell out of them. Yeah, you see fucking six niggas on the corner and whatnot, this big as hell look like they beat the fuck out of you any given day. I'd probably be itching the fuck around and pulling my pistol out too. But do you really, is, is this what we really need to put into those type of neighborhoods? And is, is this how you de-escalate the situation between the community and the police at that same time? And even though they do, they do have vets and whatnot down in those certain areas, but I don't think they have nearly enough. 
or they have a presence and whatnot that that speaks to the community in order to de-escalate some of those thoughts or some of that mentality. I mean, nothing's going to change until the people, the the general people in the city change. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we 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 just have to come to terms that that this is what the people want. And you know, I think all of us have been in conversations with with people about these looters. You know, what's the rhetoric going around about them? And there's a lot of lip service that's that's given out about yeah how we need to watch out more for the youth, how we need to mentor them more, how we need to be there for them more, how we need to teach them or or set up programs for them. There's a lot of rhetoric going around about it. But when it actually comes to actually doing something, it's let's lock them up. And a lot of people, you know, a lot more people than I would imagine, and I mean from all walks of life, and, and especially from, and I just have to say it, especially from Christian folk. I, I just have to say it. I hear it so much from Christian folk is, is that, you know, the, the, the mentoring goes out the window. Jason, when you talk about those six dudes on the corner, right? You know, I, I just got to be honest that, that a lot of people want to see those six dudes get harassed and get told by the police that they're being watched and that they, they need to be kept in line. That's what a lot of people see as a policeman's duty. They cringe when they see that duty actually being done, but it doesn't necessarily mean they disagree with it being done. And I, like I say, I think there's a lot of lip service from the general population. And, and when we ask how do how do people like Trump get elected, how do you know, how does how does this stuff happen is because people are given a lot of lip service, but they have a mentality of this, that that the police are there to beat people in line. And that's what they should be doing. And that's that's the mentality I'm seeing going around in a lot of circles and a lot of people that I'm surprised would even think in that way. So I, I got to say, not, there's not going to be any training, not going to be any defunding until the, until the people actually, actually come to terms with that there's got to be another way to handle this. The city is not providing enough opportunities for the police to have positive interactions with the people that they're supposed to protect. When, when the police talk about, well, the trust needs to be repaired and the community needs to work with us, it's always about we want the community to um, help us and you all should be willing to give us information. And, you know, we can't find these people if y'all don't give us information, blah, blah, blah. But the, there's very little about, hey, we are trying to reach out our hand and it's not about specifically finding someone, it's about we understand that the relationship is damaged and that we are part of the reason the relationship is damaged. And so we want to help do that work to repair the trust. I just don't see that happening. So they decided they wanted to find these looters, right? And all of a sudden, they've got all this footage. They've got all these photos. They release the photos of all these looters they want to find. There's this whole major push to find these kids that have looted Gucci and supposedly disrespected the city. Now, they'll try to claim that they put that same level of energy and effort into finding these little killers and these people who are terrorizing our communities. But I, I can remember many a time where the story says they have footage of this individual. They have a picture of this individual, but that picture never comes out. 
the public is never given that opportunity to to say, hey, oh, I know who that guy is and call the police. There's no major push to say, hey, we need to be doing everything in our power to find these people. Instead, they say, hey, we got some footage. If you know something, call us and then they move on. And then when nothing happens and the person is never found, they complain and say it's because it's, the community is not willing to work with us. No matter which side of the spectrum you fall upon, it's very hard to look at this situation regarding the looters and not say there was not an all-out full-court press by the police to find these people and to make sure they were punished. When the police want to find a criminal, they find them. Period. Period. This idea that the uh, murder conviction rate and issues with finding these killers that are in our city, the, the, the idea that it's all because the community isn't working with the police or because the community is not willing to talk to the police, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's garbage. We are not getting the level of service from the police that we should be. So, you know, w one aspect of this entire situation that confuses me is the way the public deals with it, especially black people. Like it's understandable why the police justify their actions and say, this is our training. This is okay. This is what we should be doing. I, I don't understand why you'll just see rows and rows and rows of people who I actually know on Facebook. These are not bots. You know, these are real everyday folks um, agreeing with what the police are doing, defending what is clearly brutality and abuse of our community. Why is it that so many people seem to be willing to just go along with what's happening? Shit, the majority of them ain't living in it. So why wouldn't they? Most of the people that shit that got their opinions about what, what, what people should do and how they should proceed when, when police are interacting with them and shit are people who never had an interaction with the police other than possibly fucking around and getting a fucking speeding ticket or something. And even in that same right shit, they yell at them damn cops. So you ain't never been in a situation that people are in and you've never been in a situation and whatnot where you have to deal with police on a regular basis in an oppressive situation. Of course they're going to have the opinion of, you know, just, you know, do what the police say and you won't nothing bad happen. The same fucking people said that same shit about that back in New York when they had that stop and free shit. Well, if you don't have anything to hide, why, 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 why can't they just sit there and go through your personal shit? Why can't they run your pockets and shit just because you a nigga and shit walking through the street? It's horseshit mm -hmm. because it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with them. It it, it doesn't have it. If they did a stop and frisk out here in Lagrange Park, you know how pissed off these white people would be. Motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> fuck around and burn the damn police station down. You think it was downtown if you fuck around out here? These white people don't mm -hmm. even like any shit when you fuck around. And tell them how to drive. They run stoplights and shit out here. Get pulled over by the police, and I have acted. I have seen. White people cuss the police out here in the suburbs. I'm surprised more of them don't get shot. Because if I argue with them like that, you'd be seeing me on the news talking about some the black male living in LaGrange Park was just murdered by the police. <laughs> I wish I would raise my voice mm -hmm. to one of these cops out here. They lose their motherfucking mind. Yeah, if you don't if you don't have anything to do with the situation, if you we, we had these arguments with these folks all the time, especially when it comes to the damn Facebook group. 
on how they all feel or how they all know how a situation is. But you ask any of them if they've ever been to the inner city. Have you ever been to right. 120th? Have you ever been to 103rd and Halsted? Have you ever been on 79th and Racine? Have you ever gone to the fucking 87th and Cottage? Have you have you Come ever been? Now. Have you even seen it? Do you even know what it looked like down there? <laughs> have you spent a night in that area before? No, oh, but <laughs> but they all know what's best for us and whatnot because you know they don't have to deal with it at the end of the day. So of course mm-hmm. their solution seems simple, but if you throw their asses in there, shit, guess what? I bet you have a bit, a bit of a hell of a different fucking experience and a hell of a different of opinion. They drown. They wouldn't know what to do. They probably commit suicide. I can't handle it. <laughs> it's a surprise that most most urban. It's a surprise that most black folks don't go out here shooting themselves. You know what I'm saying? Because who wants to deal mm-hmm. with this shit all the time? Who wants mm-hmm. to deal? With, who wants to deal with that kind of an experience and whatnot? When, when half the time you're just trying to get up and fuck around and get through your fucking day. That's the hardest part about mostly being black. But now you got to deal with all this horse shit at the same time. Nigga, I just want to go to work and come back home and get me some sleep. I'd like to sit right. and watch a little TV. Can I have something to fucking drink? But now I got to fuck around and worry about cops pulling my ass over and possibly beating the fuck out of me for no damn reason. Or locking my ass up just because of the color of my goddamn skin. <laughs> so, yeah, if you ain't got to worry about the skin tone, if you ain't got to worry about being in the bullshit, yeah, of course. Simple as just do what they tell you to do. Everything will be fine. Kill your fucking self. <laughs> I mean, I know their motive. They feel a little bit safer knowing that there's a line there, you know. But, I mean, like Jason talked about, they don't like the police either. But, you know, they, they, have, this, they have this thought pattern of there's more crime on the south and west sides. So more police there, and they're going to help to keep that crime out of our communities. Their motive is is very clear. I mean, you know, they they think it's just uh, welcome to the jungle out here in these in these uh, streets, and it, you know, and but you know, my concern is always the people within our communities who spew out that same rhetoric, and it, you know, it, it's it. I mean, it's disheartening. It's disheartening to think that that our own people look at us as animals and and that we need to be kept in line. From Head Start all the way through through high school, so many resources each of our children are missing. Uh, so many different paths that they could take to success that they're that they're forced to leave behind. You know, and, and there's no supplemental programs within our neighborhoods to to help with that that shortfall. There's no thought pattern of, of fixing early on to try to prevent this. There's only thoughts that, that we need to be controlled, that we need to be caged up, you know, and, and we're, in a sense, we're caged up in our own neighborhoods because, you know, go to, they tolerate us downtown because they know we're probably coming down there to work, you know, so they tolerate us there, but let it get dark. Let it get dark, and they're wondering if you belong there after dark. Your ass on that red line. You know, let it get. <laughs> yeah, your ass back on that red line. You know, let it, let it, you know, let us, let us pop up over on the north side somewhere, and, and no matter what time of day it is, and see what kind of looks you get, and kind of, you know, wondering like what you're there for. You know, you're not in any kind of uniform, right? You're just in regular clothes. I, I mean, what's going on with you? You know, so. 
you know, there, mm-hmm. there's just this thought pattern around our neighborhoods outside and, and within our own communities that we that we just don't belong and that we're that there's something wrong with us. It's been like that for the longest time. You you think about that shit right now. You we, we lived we lived on the south side. That's where we grew up, right? Mm-hmm. How many times you fuck around and you get in them conversations like, yeah, you know them west side niggas. Who, who them motherfuckers <laughs> on the west side? <laughs> Every motherfucking time you talk to somebody <laughs> about the west side or west side is talking about the south side. It's my wife. Anytime I mention going to the south side, she get worried. Mm-hmm. I'm like, shit, I lived on the side of town for 20, 25 years of my life. It's it's fine. Mm-mm. Even like when you watch it on the news, or when you watch, or you hear from people, it's inherent. Boy, you go on that west side, boy, you better watch out. Or you go to the south side, <laughs> man, you better stay out them hundreds, or you better stay out that low end. It's the low end or the, or the hundreds. That's the whole south side. <laughs> so you telling me I go to the south side, I'm getting shot. It don't matter where I go if you stay on the low end or you stay on on, the, on out there in the hundreds, you getting shot. It don't even matter. That's literally what I've heard people. You go to the South Side, you getting shot. You safe like in Hyde real? Park. You got about <laughs> ten blocks in Hyde Park. That That's you what. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I'm one of those rare brothers who uh, who lived on both the South Side and the West Side <laughs> during my time here in Chicago, and feel equally comfortable in both areas. It is what it is. <laughs> only thing messed me up about the west side when I started coming over to this side of town it's like I just never understood why niggas just hung out in them dirt lots all the time that shit was funny as hell to me like in the summertime it'd be a, de- it'd be a lot full of glass and it'd be like a garbage can or something like that right in the middle of it and folks was out there partying and shit like it was the club swear to god they just be everywhere got their, got their cars up got their trunks open so their music and stuff is playing it used to trip me out all the time even when yeah. I was dating her, like I had to come over and I had to go see her. It was like, oh, I got to go to the West Side. Oh my God. I, I think she's setting me up. I think she wanted to set up West Side girl. <laughs> you know, everybody on the West Side, they they talk to you like you standing across the street. You know, it, it's like, like no one talks softly out there on the West Side. It's like you over there. So they talk to you like you right in their face. They talk to you like, hey, oh, you know. It's like, hold on, I'm right in front of you. Why, why are you so loud? Everybody hear the conversation. You know, what is, what if any are the, are the solutions to this problem? How do we get people to start listening? You know, defund the police is spreading across the country. Is that the answer? Well, I mean, I, I think personally, I think um, defund the police is just not well enough defined yet, you know, to, to even to even say if they're going to address, um, like the specific issue we're talking about is is what the police do when we're in their care. You know, uh, I, w- I would have to assume that that it all is going to take a step forward in helping um, because, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about coming up with programs to help teach the youth. We're talking about mental health care facilities. So so in essence, we're talking about people, not not nearly as many people even coming into custody under the police. But at the end of the day. You know, we still have to worry about: Are we going to have the same officers out there under the, this new system, still doing the same stuff that mm. they've been doing? So, if defunding doesn't involve a retraining 
or a or just quite frankly a firing and rehiring of different type of individuals which is what i really think it comes down to because i just don't think these folk can be retrained i mean they're going to resist it they're going to resist that retraining you know unless it involves that i think we're still going to come across these problems more than we should will the incidences go down absolutely but you know, not as a direct effect of defunding unless it involves training, retraining or rehiring different officers to to assist in these matters. The defunding has no definition to it. Literally, you hear defund the police. And I know people are actually hearing that police will be eliminated from the equation altogether. So it being able to help, there's, there has to be more description. There has to be more information and what's being talked about in regards to defunding the police. If we're talking about taking those funds that are allocated to turn them into a military force, and we're talking about using those funds not only to empower communities and have communities have a word in on what police do and say and how they operate within their communities, it'll definitely make a difference. But people have to know that. Yeah, I absolutely agree that defund the police needs more explanation. It's another case of liberal policy that I think is probably a great idea, but not enough is being done to market it properly and explain to people why they would benefit from it. And so slowly but surely, uh, folks will, will turn against it or refuse to buy into it. The biggest thing that needs to happen is more leaders in the community. I think I've said this before, but flat out, we're not organized. We're not organized. We're we're not able to really convey what we want from the police and the city as a community. And it makes it easy for them to ignore us and to abuse us. It's never going to change until they believe that there's actually going to be a punishment for uh, trotting all over us. And right now, how much of a punishment is there actually? There's, you'll look bad in the public, but you can get voted right back into office. You know, there, there's no, you're, none of your power is going to be stripped away. And the, the public criticism will fade quickly because there's not enough people screaming about it, fighting about it, and saying, look at what they're doing. What they're doing is unacceptable. So we need more people in the community creating that type of dialogue and keeping the conversation going to ensure that we get the things that we need. And until until that happens, I don't think I, I, I agree with both of you. Nothing is going to change. But for the record, I think we absolutely are uh, going to get changed. I think more and more people have decided that they've had enough are trying to step up and do what they can to be leaders within the community and uh, convey our wishes to people in power so that they can be real permanent change, positive change for people who are living in our communities and have been dealing with these issues. I think both of y'all said it a few times in a few of our podcasts that this is this movement that that took place after this George Floyd thing opened the door for a lot of dialogue that can happen. I believe a lot of ears have been opened that that 
that confirmation or at least that admission that they see or they hear now, I think it's here, but I think that door is slowly closing. Slowly closing, and unless a voice comes out and and helps keep that door open in order to get that dialogue started, I think the momentum of this is going to be lost, and it's just going to be irreparable damage at that point. And I and, and it ain't no telling what it's going to take and whatnot to open that door again. We 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 got dude getting killed on video, and it's people being killed on video a lot more lately. So that's kind of helping to keep the door open too. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of that we don't really care leaking that's helping push your clothes. And on that note, I want to thank all of you for joining us here at SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. I'd like to give a special thanks to Hammond Photo Design for helping people across the country capture their most cherished moments. Let's support our black businesses, y'all. Once again, if you are a black business owner and would like to get featured as our business of the week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can get a hold of us there as well. Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We are also on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off. Peace out.